Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go right back to the phones and joining us as he does every week at this time, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing okay. A little smoky in Fort Collins today. Uh, we've got those fire issues. We've been talking a little bit about, you know, campground access and hunting access up in the northwest. Uh, you know, there's some questions about what that'll be. And then falling water and fishing access. So the message we've been really trying to get out to people is there are some obstacles this year, but there's just still tons of places and ways to recreate in Colorado. And I know you're probably spending a lot of time, your time in the field, getting ready for big game. I mean, that's it, Terry. Everything is happening. I mean, literally, you know, a, a time-honored tradition with my kids that we always dove hunt on opening day. Um, obviously, I think the, the fall pike bite is tremendous. The walleye bite is tremendous. The trout fishing is great. Um, you know, pronghorn is under swing right now. Um, you know, we have a little bit of delay on, on some of the big game, which is actually – you know, uh, a love or a curse, depending on how you look at it. It's later, which for the overall hunting, I think is amazing. I'm very excited about the delay to the big game season, but also it puts it all together. Normally we have time to kind of chase deer a little bit before the elk really get into full rut. And we have time to chase deer and elk before the bear season starts on the second. This year, everything is getting going on that September 2nd. So uh, a lot of things grouped up. So there's no doubt um, there is no time. I mean, no time to sleep right now uh, with all these bites happening. And honestly, um, the low water is one of those sensitive subjects because obviously fire is a major concern. Drought conditions are a concern. Um, but low water for me is great fishing. Now, I don't love the access for the boat. Um, you know, I don't love the dry conditions for a lot of things. But as far as true catch rate goes, generally speaking, most anglers are going to catch more fish in a low water situation. You're pooling the fish together. Um, you're eliminating some food sources. Um, generally speaking, it, it just makes the fish a little easier to locate. And I think a lot of people are excelling with that. So we're seeing some, some tremendous fishing going on. And uh, like you said, we are down to the final moments. We've been talking big game scouting for months, as we always do. Um, and I think there's a handful of people that, that have definitely listened. I get a lot of you know emails and texts and comments from you about people that are really taking this information. They're applying it in the field, and they're, they're creating their success. And there's a lot of people, unfortunately, just because I spend so much time out in the woods, I see these people that just today I started seeing a lot of people show up that I haven't seen over the course of the last month. They're like, oh, man, I have a tag. You know, it's time to start, you know, and we're you know, 10, 15 days out from the, from the opener. Um, so a lot of people are just now getting there. So these are the final moments uh, to do some scouting, build some education uh, before we are in the woods for big games. So, so a ton of stuff happening right now for sure. And, you know, one of the things we, we, you and I stress staying ready for hunting, being familiar with your firearm, doing your scouting, but we don't want to discourage, especially new hunters, from going out just temper your expectations. If you couldn't spend the time following the animals, setting up the scouting, knowing their habits, your chance of success is going to be less. It doesn't mean you won't have a great experience. The one thing when I say about getting ready, though, is the one thing that I just am adamant about is be, whether it's your firearm or your bow or whatever you're hunting with, 
be confident and know your limitations and understand how to use those well. That's one prerequisite. So you make ethical shots and you don't have a, an accident. Absolutely, Terry. You know, I think safety for yourself, for the others around you, uh, and obviously we, we owe it to the animals that we're pursuing. Um, there's no doubt about that. And I, I have to say, I, I talked to a lot of hunters this week. I spent some time on some pronghorn hunts this week. And the, the biggest thing I would say to really focus on, and as humans, we have a hard time thinking this. We hate to accept failure. We hate to ever think that we're not as good as we are in our head. But in reality, your shooting 100% will not get better in the field. Everything that you're doing at the range, whether archery, muzzleloader, or rifle, you're, you're at a 3D range with your bow or a target range with your bow, whatever, everything that you're doing in a hunting situation will be worse. You're breathing hard. The elements are different. The climate's different. You're nervous. Everything goes wrong in the field. So if you are, are not super comfortable on the range, you need to take that out into the field and diminish those, those distance or the capabilities that you're planning on shooting. So keep that in mind. You will never be a better shooter in the field, at least 90% of the population. You will only get worse as you go out hunting because, again, nerves and elements and everything else that goes wrong, clothing. Um, so, again, know those expectations. If you are very comfortable at 40 yards at the range, shoot 40 yards in the field. If you're a little iffy at 40 yards on the range, shoot 20, 30 yards out in the field. So, again, have that in mind and, and stick to it. Mentally know what you can do uh, and just tell yourself that's a hard line. Don't push the envelope. We, we owe it to everything around to, to, to create the, the, the cleanest harvest possible. Yep, you're absolutely right, Nate. Now, so what should we be doing, whether we've got our pre-scouting done or not, where should we be right now? The biggest thing now is you're down to the final moments. I mean, we have this weekend, we have another weekend, and the season actually opens on, I believe, a Wednesday, uh, midweek. So essentially we have, you know, tomorrow, you know, this afternoon, tomorrow, and one more weekend to really dial things in before that season. You are now looking for hard patterns. Um, Hopefully you already know all the terrain, you know the roads, the trailheads, you know where people are going to be, you know the public versus the private, you know the boundaries of your unit associated to the tag at which you have in your hand. Um, So hopefully you have all those key pieces of information dialed. You are now studying the animals. Um, For me personally, now it is nothing more than timing. I'm knowing the timing of the animals, and I'm knowing the timing of the conditions. More than likely on that September 2nd opener for most of your elk and deer hunters, we're going to be in very very similar conditions weather-wise to we are right now. We might drop a few degrees, but generally speaking, it's going to be almost the same. So with that, I am timing when the animals bed down in the morning. When do they go from their feeding active, you know, patterns into their dark timber or into their bedding grounds? I need to know that time. And again, that is a hard line. Once they bed down, I leave them alone. Hunt them again in the afternoon when they get up. So I'm knowing the timing of the animals. When they bed down, when they get up out of their beds, when are they drinking? When are they migrating to and from you know, their daily habits? And I am really studying those timings so I can get in the woods and I can make the most of that hunt. I'm timing how far it takes me to get into an area. Am I hiking to a back drainage that takes me five, six hours to hike into? Am I hiking two miles you know, off the, the beaten path or off the, the normal road and it takes me 25 minutes? I'm timing everything, timing the animals, timing myself. Um, and probably the most important thing that I'm timing, and this is probably the, the biggest thing that I see hunters lack 
of knowledge on is timing my thermals. Whether you want to call it the wind, the thermals, the breeze, the sit cone, whatever you want to call that, that concept, I am timing what my windage is doing when I'm out in the woods. So right now this morning, you know, in the average drainage, you're going to get a, a downwind. Your thermals are going to be sucking down canyon. Sometime in the morning, sometime between 7 a.m. and, say, 10 a.m., depending on where you're at, those thermals are going to switch. They're going to swirl for a little bit, then they're going to suck up. They're going to stay in that upward motion for the most part until it's out until the evening, then they'll switch again. And again, every drainage and every hunt situation might be different, but regardless, they're always going to have thermal changes. I am timing those. I'm literally out in the woods just sitting there with like smoking a bottle or a wind puffer or a wind checker, again, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'm watching that wind and I'm making notes to say, hey, you know, on average at, in this particular spot where I plan to hunt, my wind is changing at 8 a.m. So I know when I'm hunting, I have to get into a certain position. I have to do my hunt, complete my hunt, or back out to rearrange my position for that wind at a certain time. So everything right now is timing. Find the animals, time their patterns, time yourself, time the thermals, have a timing on everything. And I promise you that will lead to a more successful hunt here, uh, you know, coming up in the next two weeks. Yeah, it really does pay dividends to spend the time. Now, as we said before, some people can't spend the time, but, uh, if you can't spend that time, we want you to still get out and hunt. But remember, your expectations of how successful you be are going to be uh, affected. How about what are your, your – we talked, I guess, earlier in the spring. We thought it was going to be a wetter year than it was. And you never know until you start getting close on hunting water. What's the outlook on hunting water now with this dry weather we've had? It's great, you know, so it's good and bad. So here's the, the concept on what my personal beliefs are around hunting in drier conditions. Now, again, by no means am I a biologist. I don't work for the Elk Foundation or anything like that, but here's my concept. Number one, I think hunting water is going to be a valuable source. It's hot. It's dry. The animals are on the move. They're not getting the, the moisture off the grass and just the general hydration that they need on a daily basis. So water is key. Um, so as to where it's a later season, um, I, I think water is going to be a, a very influx uh, just because that early, when we have the, the August opening of archery season, it really comes into play water because it's even hotter. As we get later into the season, um, you know, your bulls need water more so because they're rutting, but the daily migration and stuff doesn't drink quite as much water in September as they do in August, but regardless, with the dry conditions that we're having, I think the the first week of the season, I think water holes and water sources are going to be key. I also know of a lot of watering sources, such as like a wallow, that have dried up because of the drought. So I know a lot of people that if they haven't been scouting, they have that, that water hole they always hunt, they might get out in the woods and find out that it is dry. So seeking out educating yourself on where your animals are drinking is absolutely key and whether you hunt those animals as they go to and from the water hole or you hunt a blind or a tree stand or, or hunt the water hole itself um, i think water is absolutely going to be a, a great way for hunters to get into the animals this year so i think water is, is great and that's for bears pronghorns elk deer um, anything that you're hunting that water source is going to be huge now we've talked about this in the past uh, again, this is a, a Nate Zielinski theory, um, so take it for what it is. But I have noticed for the 20 years that I've studied elk, uh, you know, in 10 years of guiding hunt, any time that we have dry, drought-like conditions, nine times out of 10, that brings on 
a somewhat earlier and stronger rut conditions. The second Mother Nature starts cutting off the food source, start wilting the grass, the second you start seeing that happen, generally speaking, the, the cows take that as a sign that fall is here, fall is coming, the nutrition levels are down a hair, and that's when the breeding generally starts. Um, so again, this is, this is my theory, but it has proven itself time and time again. Uh, with the conditions that we have right now, I am anticipating a very strong and early rut. The more moisture you have uh, and that type of thing, it tends to push it later. With the drier conditions, it tends to start earlier. Um, I can tell you right now i am hearing a ton of bugling action uh in the woods a lot of this is more in the high country uh but i am hearing a lot of bulls ripping out bugles uh obviously it, you know we're in the, the you know 22nd or whatever it is in august so it's early 23rd um so it's early in the season uh and these bulls are fired up already so i'm really anticipating a really strong rut season so really excited about that this coming september all right, last question. You touched on it in the beginning of the show when we were talking about all the different activities, but if you're not hunting and you want to go fishing in the next few days, where would you couple your best spots? You know, we, we keep talking walleye, and honestly, we have got so much shad that I keep waiting for this walleye bite, honestly, to get very tough. Um, you know, Chatfield has shad everywhere. Cherry Creek has shad everywhere. Generally speaking, that makes the, the general fishing just a little bit rougher. And honestly, our bites are going strong. We had our catch rate tournament series this week, and fishing was phenomenal. Um, the bite continues. You're going to be reactionary fishing for your bigger walleyes, but guys are still literally using something as simple as a jig head and a piece of worm, um, and they are catching a ton of walleye. We're still seeing 50, 60 fish days on live bait at Chatfield. So despite the shad population, um, that walleye bite's going strong. We are already also seeing some of the bigger fish coming in. We saw some fish measuring out at 28 inches this week, saw a lot of mid, you know, 24 to 26 inch fish. Um, so despite the shad, the bite is strong for numbers of fish, and we are definitely seeing some of those larger, you know, almost anticipated fall fish showing up. Um, so that walleye bite is second to none. The pike bite's good, the trout bite's good, uh, but, you know, locally right here, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, uh, there's some walleye to be had that I would say are definitely not worth uh, overlooking for sure. How's the water level at Spinney? I heard it's dropping pretty fast. Spinney is dropping very fast. They had to cl close the south boat ramp, um, but that's pretty anticipated. I'd say every spring and fall, the south boat ramp is closed. Uh, you just have to have quite a bit of water to operate that one. Uh, the main boat ramp is still open. Um, I don't see it being in jeopardy, uh, but obviously time will tell. We never know what the water calls are going to be. Um, so we might see some changes in that. Right now, Spinney's still good, but the water is dropping fast. Um, again, it's making for some unbelievable fishing, but hopefully we uh, we have enough water there. Uh, Chatfield has actually came up about 18 inches recently. Um, I'm assuming it'll drop down again, but right now we're on the influx of water at Chatfield. Um, but again, I'd say this is going to be one of those things to, to keep up on you know, daily, if not weekly, at, at, the, at the soonest uh, to keep up on those water levels. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again next week. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Yeah, you can always go to our website, but our Facebook's probably the most active. Just Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. You can go to our website, tightlineoutdoors.com, get our information there, and we'll walk you through everything. All right. We will talk to you next week. Have a good rest of the weekend. All right. Nate, Nate Solinsky. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Kirk Dieter is going to join us from Trout Magazine and Field and & Stream, and we're going to talk fly fishing Colorado right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at 104.3 The Fan. 
Larry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Five locations, soon to be six, with the new one opening in Loveland, a new big store down where that Kmart used to be. If you're going outdoors, make Jack's your first stop. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us, he's the editor of Trout Magazine. He's an editor-at-large for Field and Stream. Uh, I'm not going to go through your whole your whole resume, Kirk Dieter, because we got to talk fishing. <laughs> it's good to be with you, Terry. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And you? It's it's a good day. It's a good day. I'm up in Steamboat Springs, going to do some fishing later on. Well, you know what? We were talking. There's fires around, and there's falling water and warm water, but there are still a lot of great outdoor activities. And with all the people, you know, new either returning to the outdoors or going outdoors for the first time, I don't want them to get discouraged because there's a lot to do. In fact, you and I talked about this and what the impact is, and we're really excited on to see that people getting out and the families have discovered fishing again, right? Absolutely. There are more families fishing this summer than there have been in recent memory. And license sales are up, youth license sales are up, um, fly fishing sales, product sales, everything is up. And that just shows that people are getting out there as families and enjoying the rivers and lakes. So it's, it's encouraging. And we're also seeing them sign up with uh, Trout Unlimited to be stewards of the resources and all that, too. So uh, it's been a good summer for that. Well, that's a great point. I want to dwell on that for a minute before we get to the fishing update. And we're getting more and more people outdoors. Uh, Hopefully, you know, we haven't had youth sports very much. We haven't had pro sports. A lot of those things are coming back. You can't go out for dinner or go to a movie. Uh, and people aren't taking trips. They're not traveling nearly as much, and they're taking that time and money and going outdoors. So hopefully, even if we return to a more normal lifestyle, we've recruited some of those people into the outdoors because to have a strong outdoor industry to maintain our resources takes participation both from people being out, spending money, buying product, buying licenses, but as you said, becoming good stewards of the of our um our habitat and our rivers and our waters. And I think there's also been people getting out that don't necessarily understand some of the, the nuances and some of the etiquette and some of the right way to treat our environment. And they're not bad people. They're just trying to get out. And I, I think it's incumbent on sportsmen to tactfully help educate these people. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And just it's time for, to be patient, right? It's been a tough summer for everybody, tough spring and summer uh, for everybody. Um, But we do find some solace and some escape in the outdoors, and more and more people are doing that. It's busy on rivers for sure, but just have patience and realize that, uh, you know, people are out there for a lot of reasons, and it's not necessarily pulling on fish. Well, and if we can keep some of these people out there, first of all, they're going to discover the bonding that can go on if you're out there with a a sibling or a child or a friend and it happens in no other setting really like it does in the outdoors and there's a value system that comes with this and i'll tell you if you see somebody along the river or the lake that's struggling and i do this all the time i'll walk over to them and i'll say hey you know why don't you try this maybe i can give them i don't want to interfere or be arrogant but if i can give them a tip that maybe helps them catch a fish the smile it brings to their face is just such a reward. So I really love helping people and seeing them get out and enjoy the outdoors. So hopefully 
we'll get a lot more of these people. Well, you have been out there fishing. What have you been seeing, my friend? Oh, well, I've been seeing some people out here for sure, but I've been seeing amazing terrestrial fly fishing. You know, it's time to throw the hoppers and ants and beetles. Um, I think it's been, a, a, obviously, with the heat and the lower water, you got to be careful where you're going. You don't want to stress fish where the water's a little bit too warm and, and so forth. But where, where there's enough water, like the Colorado River or the Blue River or the Arkansas, those are all fishing. Just They're just red hot as far as the hopper bite is going. And I'm fishing hopper dropper almost exclusively. Um, big grasshopper like a Chernobyl ant or, or uh, you know, a Joe's hopper or Charlie Craven's DC hopper. Um, any of those will work, and then I'm, I'm behind it. I'm just throwing a simple, either a soft tackle pheasant tail with a tungsten bead or some copper john, something that's heavy and gets down there about 18 inches below. And that's the only rig I've been fishing for the last couple couple weeks anywhere. Well, just a couple weeks ago, I was up in Estes fishing the Fall River with that exact setup, and I couldn't keep the brown trout off the off the flies. And, you know, and I always joke, but it's, there's a seriousness behind it that I love the hopper dropper season because it, it, it covers up so many of my, my inadequacies. If I happen to splash down on the cast, I don't need to lay it gently on the water because hoppers don't usually hit the water gently, and they're usually struggling. So if I don't get the exact perfect drift, a lot of times I still catch a lot of fish. Yeah, sometimes it sometimes that helps even more. So, I mean, that. A little twitch here and there on the fly, it looks more natural that way. And I say to my friends, if I could live like Groundhog Day the next six weeks, you know, from now until the very first part of October, over and over again, and that would be my fishing season, I would do it in a heartbeat. It's just that we are just now entering into the golden golden days of the season, and I'm real excited about it. So. Well, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make when fishing a hopper dropper, too, is that they don't realize how important. I mean, they, they're afraid to throw a big enough hopper or, like you said, a Chernobyl ant because it looks just outsized after you've been throwing 16 and 18 mayflies and nymphs, doesn't it? It does, but, I mean, you walk through any dry field right now and you'll be amazed by how many hoppers you pick up. And so they're there and the fish know they're there. And when they hit the water and they start floating downstream, it's like a T-bone steak. The fish can't can't say no sometimes. They look at that. Now, they'll scrutinize it, and that's what makes it so fun. As you know, they'll look at the fly. They'll nose the fly. They'll poke it. And then they'll come up with that slow, laborious slurp sometimes. Or sometimes they'll just hammer it right away. But uh, a hopper eat is, you know, I'll take one hopper eat for a a thousand nymph takes. I mean, just watching the fish come up and, and eat a hopper is, I think, the, as good as it gets in fly fishing. Well, it really is. And when you're fishing the hopper dropper, um, you you, I think a lot of fishermen have trouble keeping their, their indicators when they're fishing uh, nymphs from spooking the fish. Well, that hopper is so natural on top of the water, I think it gives you another advantage for your dropper, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you, when you, when, as soon as I find that I'm getting equal bites on the hopper as well as the dropper i chop off the dropper and i just stick with the hoppers but i mean you 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 got them coming and going literally i mean you've given them two choices and you've wanted to keep that remember the most important thing with hopper fishing is not to get um 
too close to the fish, I mean, they're, they're going to be right near the bank. So if you're walk waiting, sometimes keeping your boots dry is the best thing of all. And then just be really careful and meticulous as you work up the stream. Um, that, you know, maybe one or two, three feet off the side of the bank is, is where they're going to be in the, in the river. They're not always right out in the middle. So I always fish hoppers close to the bank. That's where the, that's where the bugs are and that's where the fish are, right? Yeah. Now, I want to switch gears on you real quick. Have you been doing any lake fishing? Yeah. In fact, when I say I'm going fishing today, I'm going to head out to Stagecoach, and I'm going to fish there. And um, it's been on. It's, it's It tends to be mornings and evenings now, and the heat of the day has not been so hot. But, I mean, it's, it's literally been hot, but not for the fishing. But uh, um, evening bites, we've seen some smaller bugs. Uh, coming off and even throwing the hoppers and terrestrials on the weed mats and such there uh, has turned some trout. Um, I might switch gears and chase pike, but typically do that in the morning with the fly. So, All right. If people want uh, more information, do you have any great articles coming up in Trout Magazine, and how do they get the magazine? Yeah, just go to www.tu.org. That's troutunlimited.org. And uh, you can sign up for a, a free weekly e-newsletter, or you can sign up as a member. We'd appreciate having you. You help take care of the rivers and everything, and then you get the magazine that way for free. Yeah, and always great articles. Some of my favorite writers are in Trout Magazine, and even Kirk Dieter. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take a second seat to John Girak and um, Camuto and Reed and all the other great writers that we have, and Aaron Block is often in there, and she's one of my favorites, too, so um, shout out to anybody who's listening, who, who, who's reading and, and enjoying that. Thanks for being with us. All right, my friend, we'll let you go, but um, thank you for joining us, and I hope you have a good success on the water today. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right, Kirk Dieter, uh, Field and Stream, Trout Magazine, just really an asset that lives here in Colorado that helps really get the information out to the public. Um, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to switch things up. And we're going to talk some shooting with the people from Colorado Clays. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. If you're headed outdoors, you need to make Jack's your first stop because Jack's have it. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors, helping people get outdoors for over 65 years. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Clays is J.R. Pierce. Good morning, J.R. Hey, good morning, Terry. Hey, you know, I was thinking about you when I was talking to uh, Kirk Dieter from Trout Unlimited about, he talked about the families getting outdoors and how, how excited we are to see the outdoor industries growing and more people you know, doing because they're staying home more, not traveling, getting outdoors. Well, I know Colorado Clays is a very family-oriented facility. Are you seeing a lot of families starting to come out and take up shooting? Are you seeing a trend like that at all? Well, absolutely, Terry, and I think you bring up a really good point. Uh, 2020, the way things are, outdoor activities have kind of become the direction people have geared towards. And the one thing I'll say, so many of those activities – anymore require reservations or memberships and you know terry that's what makes colorado clays such a great choice for the outdoorsmen and women of colorado uh for the last 24 years we've offered the finest open to the public year-round shooting opportunities for you know anyone and everyone whether you're a competitive shooter 
just practicing or possibly competing in one of the many Colorado Clays tournaments or events. Uh, say we're preparing for a hunting season, whether it's that spring turkey, you know, those late summer doves, which is coming right up, fall or winter, maybe big game, small game, upland birds, waterfowl, any of the above, um, we're here. And, you know, the best of all is if you just want to go enjoy a day of recreational shooting by yourself or with any size group, uh, you know, Colorado Clays is always here, Terry. And the great thing about Colorado Clays is not just that we have everything you need, you know, from that shotgun pattern area, which is the best starting point for anybody, our training tramp for lessons and beginners, uh, seven ATA regulation traps for the trap shooters, two NSSA certified skeet fields with wobble trap overlays, our beautiful 15-station sporting clays course, um, the amazing, and I mean it's amazing, rifle and pistol facility with that target return system and video viewing for real-time sight in, and, you know, really much more. Um, but we do it on a giant 120-acre facility, which allows for everyone to enjoy their time with us in a true outdoor setting. So uh, got everything the outdoorsman needs right here, Terry. If I show up with a family member that I want to get into the shooting sports, um, let's just say shotgun, but could be rifle or pistol too, I come in, I, I, do I come to you guys first to see what I need? What do I need when I show up? Maybe I've done some shooting, but they haven't. Uh, how are you going to get me started? Well, Terry, there's a couple options. So I always encourage everyone to give us a call out here. We'll assess your skill level, your needs, whether you need to rent a gun, whether you have your own gun, and then decide if you know it's somebody that has an experienced shooter and wants to work with them in a uh, beginning environment. We have that for uh, rifle, pistol, and shotgun, or if they'd like to take the next, next step and start out the way they should, schedule uh, an appointment with one of our instructors. Uh, we do have the best people in the industry, and we've been able to process everyone and get them going in the direction they need. So certainly give us a call if you have any question as to how you want to handle it and uh, how it should be done, and we have all the answers right here at Colorado Clays. What what age do you see people coming out and starting to get their 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 youth into hunting? Well, and that's a that's a great question, Terry. You know, most ranges do have age limitations for firearms. So, 10 years old is kind of our break point, but I do this all the time, Terry. We have kids come out, bring their BB gun, start them out in the pistol range. Uh, we have targets, we have zombie targets. Just get them accustomed to the entire process. Um, accuracy, aiming, you know, uh, mounting the gun properly, and let them enjoy that. And then when they are of age and stature enough, then progress to the next level. So that's a really good question. And I just sent a young man down to the pistol range to shoot a zombie target about 30 minutes ago. Uh, just makes their day and really gets them acclimated to the environment they're going to be in and uh, good for our future youth. Well, and I think it makes them feel they're part of the process, that they're not being left out, too. So that's a that's a great, great thing. Hey, before we run out of time, there's a few other things I want to talk about. We're, muzzle loader season is right around the corner. Last week I was talking to some guys from Jack's Outdoors about muzzle loaders, and what they do is they, um, when they're helping somebody pick out the right bullet and the right charge, is they send them out with a limited amount of it, tell them to go shoot it, they see how it performs, or maybe two or three different ones, and they'll go back and forth, 
And then once they get the right one, then they they work to fine-tune it and make sure that they go out and sight in their gun then. How do you handle muzzle loaders at Colorado Clays? Well, and Terry, that's uh, that's just the way you should do it. See, Colorado Clays is really a muzzleloader-friendly facility. Uh, you know, and number one, of course, we're open to the public, and we're we're here year-round. So whenever it works for you, we can take care of that. Uh, that state-of-the-art facility, uh, you know, an NRA-approved design. We have 10 bays of shooting, so we we get people in and out. We have 50 and 100-yard uh, options. So, like you're saying, those test loads. Uh, use that 50, get the most accurate one, and then find out what your maximum range is by moving on from there. A lot of people are going to be hunting different situations. We have sitting, standing, prone, and shooting sticks options. So practice the way you're going to be shooting after you get that gun hitting. Um, again, our staff is the best in the industry and can help with all of that. You know, another thing about the muzzleloaders too, Terry, with our semi-outdoor type facility, uh, we have the covered shooting area. We're heated. We have lights, padded benches, and a variety of different rests. But what's really nice about us versus other options would be muzzle loaders make a little bit of smoke, and with our open air uh, design, uh, they don't really cause any problems. So people really enjoy shooting them here. The last thing I want to talk to you about is big game season is going to be on us in no time, and you and I are adamant that people wait too long to come in and sight in their big game rifle. So many people put it aside. They pick it up a week or two before the season. They think they're going to come out and zero in. And sometimes there's an issue. Uh, Your mounts are loose. Your scope has a problem. Uh, What do you have? I mean, I know you have your rifle sighting clinics. Are those coming up pretty soon? Yes, they are. We've got those on the website. Uh, We're going to be doing those Sunday mornings and, uh, certainly sign up for that. And I know last time, Terry, we went over uh, everything those entail, everything from just safety, gun function. Uh, again, you can learn stuff about your own equipment you didn't know with our experts. And a uh, perfect example, last week a gentleman came out, uh, went to do some you know, preseason sight-in, turned out his scope, something had jarred loose and broke inside, and he's actually going to have a new one in time to get resighted in. So it's the perfect example of what you're talking about. I encourage the sighting clinics, Terry, because they are just so entailing of information um, and can take you uh, to the next level with just a simple two-hour class. All right. And the last thing i got to talk to you about is my daughter said she was going to get a hold of you about classes, and she goes, I got a hold of your friend. We're going to talk about some classes. And I corrected her immediately about you and I being friends. <laughs> yeah, good call. <laughs> uh, no, you know what, Terry? Uh, did I'm going to talk to her this afternoon. We're going to get her all fixed up and going on her class. And, Terry, I got one quick dove question for you, if I could. Um, oh, I, yep. This is, and this is. Uh, so, I was just curious, are you going to be hunting doves out in this area? Because I've been seeing a lot of birds, and I know they have a tendency to go where they feel safe. Yeah, and they usually hang out where they think I'm hunting. All you have to do is look at my Facebook page and the two doves talking about me and saying, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) All kidding aside, we did a segment on dove hunting earlier in the show. I will put that up on Facebook for people. It's looking like it's going to be a really good dove season. People, if you're a new hunter, you know, seriously, 
sure there's some frustration in missing them. But dove hunting is one thing. All you really need is a shotgun and some time. You don't need a dog necessarily or anything like that. And you can get into hunting and have a good time. Dove hunting may be one of the easiest hunting to get into. Absolutely. And, you know, Terry, uh, we all have our strengths and weaknesses in our shooting. And I'll tell you, Colorado Clays is the perfect place to flush those issues out before season and work on them. Uh, we can represent any shot you're going to find in the field. Come out, practice it, and go out and up your percentages uh, with just a couple visits. All right. My friend, uh, how do they find you? Give us a call, 303-659-7117, or go to coloradoclays.com. Certainly take the virtual tour, uh, check out our facility, and we look forward to seeing everyone. All right. We will talk to you again in a couple weeks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Terry. J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Before we take a time out, I want to, um, if you're new to the show and you take interest in what we talk about, fishing, hunting, camping, climbing, biking, anything outdoors, follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. A couple reasons. We're going to have um, trivia coming up where the answers will be there. You can win a great trivia prize. But you would have known that we were having dove hunting uh, on today's show. And you could have specifically listened. And then we post a lot of those podcasts on our Facebook page. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, um, we will finish up talking about more outdoors. And Dan Jacobs might join us. And I heard he has a question on the outdoors. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. The Eagles, Take It to the Limit, one of my all-time favorite Eagles songs. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Um, we're going to be wrapping the show up here. A couple things I want to touch base with you on. One is uh, I always mention our Facebook page. Follow us on Facebook. So much about what goes on in the show appears on Facebook. And a lot of podcasts, a lot of articles I've written for the Denver Post appear on Facebook. And we also post Every time we put a new video on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And remember that YouTube channel, while we fish from Central America to the Arctic Circle and across North America on that show, about half those shows were filmed right here in your backyard in the Rocky Mountain area. So there's lots of fishing opportunities that we show you places and techniques that you can use right here on The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. So take a look at that. Also on the Facebook page, by the way, is Dan Jacobs in the studio yet? I'm here. Here. On the Facebook page, you had, uh, I heard through the grapevine that you had a question about ticks, Dan. You know, I did, Terry. Oh, by the way, just so you know, I, I drove by this morning our old bowling alley, and it's still there where uh, you coached me, get this, 30 years ago, Terry. 30 years it's been. Since we were it's hard doing to that. believe since I'm only 35, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes. But I, I successfully coached you to a state championship. Yes, absolutely. But it's been – I couldn't believe it. But it's still there um, <laughs> over there in Mississippi. So it was, I was, it was nostalgic driving in, seeing that. But, yeah, I wanted to ask you about um, – so my dog recently, not once but twice now, has gotten ticks on his nose. We were able to successfully remove uh, remove them without having, you know, any parts sticking – Sticking in there, which the dog loved, by the way. Um, one of the ticks seemed dead, like shriveled up and dead. The other one was full, looked like he had a nice full meal. Um, 
Are ticks in the grass, or are they in some of the native areas that we were walking around? Like, is there anything you can do to prevent that? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what. They are in the grass, and they're on bushes. We don't have time to get into a lot of it, but if you go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and if you Google ticks and then a separate word, disease, we have the uh, Colorado Tick Pre- uh, Disease Prevention Society on every year we do a special because ticks are one of the more overlooked dangers in the outdoors. There are dozens of very dangerous pathogens that not only affect your dog, but it will affect humans. I mean, there's Lyme disease, tick fever. You know, there's a tick that you would hate this one, Dan. It's called the Lone Star Tick. And if it transmits its pathogens through a bite, you become allergic to red meat. Oh, no. No, we cannot have that. Yeah. So in all seriousness, ticks are a very serious thing to consider. There are uh, things you can treat your clothing with that they'll actually die on contact and you don't, and fall off. And there are lots of ways to treat your dog, but definitely take it seriously. But we go over, there's two or three posts on my Facebook page going back over the last couple of years, just dedicated to preventing ticks, what to do if you get bit. So just go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, hit the little search, uh, our, the little magnifying glass, and just type in the word tick and then disease, and then they'll come up and and there's both podcasts and articles I wrote to the Denver Post. Or they're really worth uh, worth looking into. Hey, before we run out of my time and get into yours too much, which I really don't care. Right. Um, I, I first of all, I'm embarrassed to be a Denver sports fan this week. It's we're going to talk about this on the show. Who's more embarrassing right now to the city, the Nuggets or the Rockies? Uh, I know they're 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 putting no effort together, and it's it's embarrassing to our city. And maybe they need to donate their paychecks to charity or something because it's a joke. It's just it's ridiculous. I mean the the Rockies just fell off a cliff, and the Nuggets not even showing up for a playoff game, not even effort. That was ridiculous. Now hopefully the Avalanche are, have been playing well, and they'll bring back some pride and. And then the Broncos will be playing pretty soon. And I do have a couple things. I, I'm hearing the optimism, and I know you're one of the optimistic ones, and I'm a big Bronco fan, and I want to be optimistic. But a couple things are really troubling me. One is inside linebacker, no depth, and I'm not sure we can cover cornerbacks and tight ends, I mean uh, running backs and tight ends. And then lack of depth or maybe even starting quality at cornerback. What do you think about those two things? Yeah, well, the – those are huge. It was basically inside linebacker John Elway. It's a gam- he gambled both at tackle and inside linebacker that ah eh, we can get by one more year with subpar play. We can get by one more year with Todd Davis who has an injury history and we know he doesn't have much left in the tank. Right now it's not looking good. It's looking like a gamble that's not going to pay off for John Elway and he might have to pay the piper if their season spirals downward because they just don't have competence at those positions and quarterbacks in there as well. Although they've got some positive play so far early in camp from those positions, at least at cornerback. The other two, tackle and inside linebacker, could be a serious weakness for the team, Terry. Can you uh, Tackle is hard to go out and find, but sometimes well, not you when can you're find taking, an inside. Uh, gadget wide receivers in the second round for no reason. Yeah, it's real hard. No, to no I'm, talking, I'm talking about right now, though, if you try to make a move. Um, ta- any tackle worth playing is hard to find. But sometimes you can find an inside linebacker. Is right. there anybody out there on the horizon maybe they could pick up or trade for? Yeah, I was just looking at Alec Ogletree. Uh, the started 13 games for the Giants last year, had uh, some big games last year. He's serviceable. He's out there, and there's a couple out there that they could go take a flyer on. 
All right, my friend. We're getting into your time, so I'll let you go. But check out those tick articles. They really are important, and you really do want to avoid them. And, yes, they are on the grass and the brush by the trails. They can actually feel your vibration and heat, and they hunt you down. That's how bad it is. All right, I will do that. And I hear next week we're going to close that with the Beatles. So that's cool. I'll look forward to that. Yeah, you got you got that wrong, so we'll figure that out. Anyway, we're going to close the show so Dan can talk more sports. I want to say thanks to Kyle in the studio. Thanks to Karen for making this setup work where I sit in my palatial studios. Uh, join us every week from 9 to 11 right here at 104.3 The Fan. We'll let the Eagles take us to Dan Jacobs and Sports.